0: I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We'll be looking and investigating the feeding of 5,000 that will be found in uh, Luke, chapter 9, verse 12 through 17. So Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are going to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. So far, the reading of God's word. To your congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have surveyed a portion of chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, and before we start, let us refresh our memory about what has happened so far. See, Jesus sent the twelve on an evangelistic mission. Jesus equips his disciples with power and with authority for this mission to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And in doing so, Jesus is teaching the twelve about a lesson about dependence upon him. And this knowledge will be helpful in their evangelistic mission, especially the Great Commission and all those acts that we read in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And their mission was a success as the Words caused quite a stir that they reached even to the ears of Herod. And he became perplexed. And he and the crowds got to answer the question woven throughout chapter 9. Who is Jesus? The twelve then returned on their mission. They found Jesus and they departed to Bethsaida for some rest. Now the crowds learned about where they were going and they followed them. And as Jesus has been his custom as Jesus accepted them, he heals them and preaches to them about the kingdom of God. And while the disciples watch and observe their Lord partake in his kingdom work, they are about to learn how unprepared they are for a dependence upon him as he challenges them and shows them a great miracle. Our theme this morning as we examine Scripture is trusting the hand that feeds you. And we'll look at this at two points. The disciples' panic and Jesus' provisions, point number two. Within the large crowd of people, there must have had many people who needed the aid of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God takes up a significant portion of the day. The text informs us that the day had begun to wear away. I'm sure you are all aware of this, how time can slip away from when you are busy in a Obsessed with the things and the tasks at hand, consumed. So the day is fading. The sun is setting, but daylight is still there. Now the disciples, aware of how large the crowds are and realizing that they're in a desolate place, come to Jesus with a request. And it was not a mere suggestion to their Lord. But they were telling Jesus, send the crowd away to go into the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Then at first glance, it seems like a valid request. The disciples are being bold. Maybe they see Christ laboring, healing those infected with disease while preaching the kingdom of God, and they think time has gotten away from their Lord. Jesus was maybe so consumed by doing the will of his Father, so absorbed what he loves to do, that he forgot that it was getting close to suppertime. So you can see the disciples' hearts. It's getting late. They're in a desolate place, and there's no food nor lodging. You can imagine the 12 of them brainstorming the best course of action. They're concerned not only for the crowds, but for their master as well. See, the crowds have to travel to find food and lodging. And with such a large crowd, they will not fit into the next town. They might have to walk to the next town over. Some are in for a longer walk that, e- that evening. See, and even if some of the crowd have come by near town, nearby towns or villages, maybe if those were only returning home, maybe even with a couple new friends that accompanied them on this journey, it would still be a distant walk. So when you weigh all that is developing in front of the disciples, it's hard to doubt the heart of the disciples. They're trying to be proactive. And this could have even been the case, a practice that they implemented as they went from village to village. Healing and proclaiming in the kingdom of God. The disciples may have agreed upon a set time to stop work so the people would have had time for supper and to put their children to bed. So they went to Christ with boldness because they did not ask the question Excuse me, Jesus, it is getting late. We are here isolated. What do you think we should do next? nor was their question, Jesus, there's such a large crowd here, it's getting late, should we suggest that they start to make their way home? No, the disciples came with boldness. Send the crowns home. It was a command from their lips from the disciples, not a question or suggestion. But was it the right course of action for the twelve? They're being proactive. You see their hearts of, for their master, for the crowds? But is it because their ego is slightly maybe inflated? They got some experience healing and preaching the kingdom of God. Maybe they come back to Jesus with a little pep in their step. They know how to deal with this situation. So is there a command to Jesus out of arrogance that they know what to do? That the disciples know what's best? Another possible reason is that they're anxious. They start to panic. The crowd is large. Maybe they're pushing in on Jesus. And you can think of all the noise. There could be crying of small children and the moaning of agony of all those who are sick and need of healing. There could be shouts of jubilation for those that are healed, tears of joy, as they recover from all of their infirmities. There could be speculation and discussion about the teaching of Jesus as he proclaims the kingdom of God. Maybe even questions for Jesus as they shout from the back of the crowd. So maybe it's the large crowd that is weighing on the disciples. And they become anxious and start to panic about what they should do. So their command to crisis more out of desperation than is sincerity. The twelve go to Jesus, and he hears the command of his disciples. But his solution in mind, he, has a, he responds with a command. And since the twelve are sensitive that, to the issue, Jesus commands that they solve the problem. He says to them, You give them something to eat. Such a command sounds puzzling. Why would Jesus twel- tell the 12 to feed 5,000 plus people? We could think of it as a bit harsh. Just like the command that Jesus told the disciples to take nothing for their evangelistic mission. But instead, we ought to think of it as another test for the disciples. they were expected to be men of action no longer on the sidelines watching jesus they were being partaking in his ministry they were called upon to have answers to these questions so what is the correct answer to this test when the disciples returned from their evangelistic mission jesus withdrew with the 12 and the 12 are not recorded as partaking in the ministry of Christ. The disciples rested. Jesus was healing, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. It could have been a perfect time, as I argued, for the disciples to get feedback on the development of their skills. But as we understand, it was not a development of their skills for their kingdom work, but the development of their dependence upon Christ. See, without a dependence upon him, they would never be successful in their mission. So this was the most important lesson that they were to learn. Remember, the disciples were depleted of all their possessions. They were to go out with nothing, fully relying and depending upon God for their provisions. So the disciples respond and show how much they learned as they reply to Jesus' command. The twelve respond, saying, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. The twelve might be thinking to themselves, the resources are limited. Jesus instructed us to take nothing for our journey. No food, no money. How then are they expected to provide for all these people? They lack resources. They only have two fish and five loaves of bread. Hardly enough to feed such a large crowd. And understanding this, they ask Jesus there to go out and buy food for all the crowd. See, the 12 are overwhelmed and crushed in the face of this crisis because they're unprepared for the mission at hand. They do not understand that they need to depend on On Christ. Now, is this a lesson that the 12 should have understood? See, this wouldn't be the first time that Jesus provided many fish for the disciples. If we remember early on in the Gospel of Luke, when Christ first called them, he told them to cast their nets into the water, and he provided so many fish for them that they could hardly bring them into the boat. That day, the disciples had nothing, and they were given more than they needed by a simple command of Jesus. And that experience is no different than Jesus equipping them with power and authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. They lacked the power and authority to do these things, and it was Jesus that equipped them for the task. The disciples had nothing in both circumstances. And Jesus gave to them all that they needed. They went from no fish to fish. They went from no power, no authority, to having power, to having authority. See, not only did the twelve have experience by being equipped by Jesus, but they but he showed them a great power during a great time of anxiety. See, Jesus and the disciples set across the lake and a great windstorm arose and they were in danger. All the while, Jesus is asleep. Yet the disciples frantically woke Jesus and he rebuked the winds and the raging waves and everything was calm again. Yet the disciples, sorry, and amidst their danger, they remembered Jesus. But now, Amid the large crowd, they're looking to their circumstances and not to Christ for answers. They're trying to solve a problem apart from Jesus Christ. And this is the problem of the twelve. Amid their anxiety and panic about the crowds, they're worrying about lodging and feeding them. They're focused on external things, so much so that they forget about Christ. They forgot about his power, the power to command the winds and the waves, his power to equip them with power and authority to heal and cast out demons. They forgot about Jesus, and their panic and anxiety manifested in forgetfulness. It produced in them blinders that the only thing that they could see was their problem. Forgetting that Christ is the only solution. Now should we be so harsh with the twelve? For being slow to remember that Jesus is the solution when we who are disciples of Christ have a clear picture of revelation, yet spend most of our lives learning the same lesson. Survey your life how quickly do you put on your blinders and focus solely on external problems? When you engage in a new stage of life and you move from being single to a spouse or a spouse to now parents, from being unemployed to employed, moving to a new town, a new church, a new school, each new event provides its own and unique challenges in the Christian pilgrimage. The question is have you learned the dependence upon Christ? Or are you still fixated on external problems, on external means to solve those problems? See, is your answer Christ, or is it things? See, why not fixate on the one who created? those things. He created them. He has the power and means to distribute them. So why not focus on Him? Think of how Christ handled your circumstances in the past. He is gracious and He is kind. Has He not given to you what you need? Has He not provided for you? Yet the simple basic truth is an answer you all need to learn again and again that Christ is sufficient, that we depend upon him. So just as Jesus entertained the command of the twelve to send the crowds away, he showed his patience with his disciples as they listen to his answer. And again, this shows the grace for their lack of understanding. And he shows to the twelve that he is sufficient for their problems. The last command in this section is Christ telling the twelve to seat the crowd in groups of fifty. Now, if you're wondering if there's any significance to the seating arrangement, some commentators point to the parallel of Elijah Obadiah tells Elijah that he has supplied food and water for fifty each. This is two groups of a hundred. Most understand that it is just the best way to organize the mass of people for the easiest means for the twelve to distribute the food. So the twelve complied with the command of the Lord and had the group sit down. Jesus then took the bread and looked up to the heavens and said a blessing over the food. Jesus recognized that God was the source of this meal and he gave thanks. Jesus gives the food to his disciples to hand out and the people are about to be fed and his disciples learn about Christ's provision. And what do you think the disciples thought when they saw the food multiplying as Christ continued to give them food for the large crowds? I'm sure there's a lot of "how is this happening?" and the text doesn't inform us how it was happening. But maybe was there a sense of shame that they missed what had, might have been obvious? Or are there any doubts if Christ could provide enough food for all these people? See, we do not know what they thought, but what we know is the food kept coming. And they all ate and they all were satisfied. Matthew Henry summarizes the later half of this miracle with a helpful quote. He says, "Those whom Christ feeds, he will fill. To whom he gives, he gives enough. And as there is in him enough for all, so there is enough for each." He replenishes every soul, hungry soul, and abundantly satisfies it with the goodness of his house. See, to whom Christ feeds, he fills. To whom he gives, he gives enough. And he provides with no demand of repayment. The mercy of God is extended to all without demand of being repaid. And isn't this indicative of how salvation is extended to his people? See, Christ fed a multitude with five loaves and two fish. He broke bread, and with a little, a lot were fed. And yet, with his body, with a single sacrifice, perfect and spotless, many were saved. He did all the work in both scenarios, and yet, it's his gift to you. Salvation is extended to you as a gift, not a reward. Christ is the one that went to the cross. He requires nothing but faith in him to receive such a glorious gift. He is the one that suffered. He is the one that was humiliated. He was the one that lived in perfect obedience to the will of his Father. Yet, you are the one that receives benefits with no outstanding debt, with no depleted funds, with no outstanding bills. See, nor did Jesus require from the crowd reimbursement. The disciples did not come with a check and an 18% gratuity because the party was over 10 people. It was free and it was full of grace. Christ had paid it all accomplished on the cross. He is the one that brought about salvation for his people. And he's the one that's been feeding them this whole time. See, this was not a one-time occurrence for Christ. Is it not the case that he's been providing for his people throughout their pilgrimage? The most similar parallel passage to the event of the 5,000 of that is of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. And just in passing, I'll mention the refilling of the widow's oil in the same chapter. But in 2 Kings 4:42, a man brought to Elijah twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, to give it to the men that they may eat. But his servant asked a similar question as the disciples. How can I set this before a hundred men? Elisha repeats himself and then he says, thus says the Lord, they shall eat and they shall have some left. And they ate and they had some left according to the word of the Lord. And striking similarities to the feeding of the 5,000. But Christ shows a greater miracle, feeding more with less. And this was not the first desolate wilderness feeding either. Just after the Lord rescued his people from Israel, from the tyranny of Egypt, they grumbled to Moses and to Aaron. that They were brought out into the desert to die of hunger. But the Lord said to Moses, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Every day the people were to gather a day's portion. And the only time they were to gather more was on the sixth day in preparation for the Sabbath. It was the bread that fell from the heavens. The menu was quail at twilight. In the morning they were filled with bread. Why did the Lord do this? He says, so you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. From the wanderings in the wilderness to many other examples, like God using Joseph in Egypt as a means for his family to escape famine. He is the one that's continually been feeding his people. Christ has been at work throughout the history of redemption. Do not think it stopped at the cross and now you're out here having to fend for yourself. If anything has stopped, it's our dependence upon Christ. A sinful nature, hardness of heart that creates disbelief. See, he has all the answers to the questions from the dilemmas of the disciples to yours but you fixate on externals. Tunnel vision develops, and you focus on yourself and on your problems, and you forget about Jesus. You forget about the one with all the authority and power that's been given to him, the one who holds everything in the palm of his hand. Do you believe this? Is this what you think of your Savior If he said to you, how can these dry bones live? What is your answer? O oh Lord God, you know. Who can convert these poor sinners? Who can rescue my children from their backsliding? Who is going to secure the next generation? See, if you're not, you're, you and yourself are not sufficient to achieve this. If you're not depending upon Him, what can you do for your salvation? What can you do for your family? What can you do for yourself? You need Him for everything, not some things from time to time you need him for everything so what is stopping you from depending upon him is it pride you'd rather do it your own way is it greed that you'd rather receive the glory and honor for yourself is it disbelief There's no way someone could ever be so merciful and so gracious. So if you're not depending upon Christ, then you're just depending upon yourself and that is a recipe for disaster. So seek him. Depend upon him and you will find rest in him because he cares for those who are his. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from 17 verses through chapter 9, Luke reveals to us another angle of who Christ is. You know from our study so far that he's the one who equips you. He's the one that informs you who sends you and gives you work to do. And he's the one that gives you rest. But now also, he's the one who feeds you, both your soul and your body. And he's the one you need to depend upon. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us such a gracious Savior that has done everything for us, who feeds us body and soul, who's provided salvation for us, that he doesn't ask to be repaid, that we're not left with an outstanding debt or bills, that all we're asked to do is depend upon him. Help us, Father, that we may grow in our dependence upon Christ, that we may realize that you are the only self-sufficient one, that we depend upon you for everything, for the air that fills our lungs, to the blood that circulates through our veins, for the salvation from our sins. May you continue to work in our hearts, Father, please that we may learn to depend upon you It's through Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen.